the room has been on a missions trip out of the country. Could you just put your hands up? Oh, there's a fair number anticipated that just because of the number of trips that have made to, been made to Czech Republic alone. And again, we have a, a team that's going to be traveling there later this summer. Some are actually on missions trips as we speak. I know that Jim and Celeste's daughter, Ia, is currently in Taiwan, if I understand correctly. So that's uh, very exciting. Uh, Marine Furco's husband, Tom, is actually leading a team from Cal Baptist in Germany, and he'll return later this week. So we want to pray him all the way back as well. And I think Big Ian is going to even be going to Asia, right, uh, for an English camp later. Missions trips are, are great experiences for a number of different reasons. They allow us to see what God's doing in other parts of the world. Missions trips also allow for ministry partnerships to grow stronger as we go over there and in real time see the needs and the objectives of the ministry and how we can contribute. Missions trips help equip and support missionaries in church planning or further development of an existing church and ongoing discipleship relationships. All of these experiences are meaningful. And those that have been on trips, I think, would testify of these realities. And I believe if there's one thing that stands out about going on a missions trip, it's this. A mission trip will teach you how you need to trust the Lord to accomplish the purposes. And it also allows you to learn a great deal about yourself. Missions trips test where you are at spiritually. There is no switch that you can flip. That all of a sudden you can become super spiritual and go on the missions trip. You are who you are on that trip, right? But who you are when you come back is usually quite different. By divine design, missions take you and I out of our comfort zones as we minister in a foreign place and in a foreign culture. And again, it teaches us to trust the Lord, to advance the gospel, and to overcome the barriers of culture and overcome the barriers of language. It is with this in mind that I want to introduce our final passage in Mark chapter 7. The Lord is taking his disciples on an extended mission trip into Gentile territory, and we can be certain that it is taking them out of their comfort zones. What lessons will the Lord teach them? How should the lessons that the Lord provides impact you and I? Let's tackle the text together. Mark chapter 7, 31 to 37 says this, starting in verse 31. Again, he, Jesus, went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. And the impediment of his tongue was removed. And he began speaking plainly. He gave them orders not to tell anyone, 
The more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. You can see in your bulletin that our title of today's message is Our Lord's Mercy to Gentiles Continues. And last week we processed the Lord's mercy through the lens of the Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile woman. And this week we're going to process the Lord's mercy through the lens of a Gentile man. As the bulletin indicates, our passage provides four lessons from our Lord's ongoing ministry to Gentiles so that we continue to celebrate his mercy towards us. Time is against us, and so let's not waste any. Let's tackle the first lesson right away. This is what it is. His journey through Gentile regions focuses us. I'm going to explain this. Look again at verse 31. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. This could very well be one of the longest verses in the Bible from a geographical and chronological standpoint. Jesus is about to embark on a 120 plus mile journey. It's going to take several months to complete. In our age of travel and convenience, it doesn't seem like much. But I want to show you what this looks like on PowerPoint. And if we can pull up our picture... You'll notice in the top left in my imaginary pointer, and we do have a pointer, and, and I just always forget that we have one, but you'll notice right up where the white box is, right to the right, you'll see Sidon. Everyone see that? And then you'll come south, and that's about 20 miles to another city called Tyre. So last week, Jesus was in Tyre. He ministers to the Syrophoenician woman, and then he's going up north to Sidon. Next, he's going to travel down, and this is where we start today, he's going to make a journey of over 100 miles all the way down to Decapolis on the right-hand side. You'll see it there by the number 18, right there in the middle. Thank you for whoever has the pointer. <laughs> really, that's a miracle. It came straight from my finger. I'll have you know. Can we, you don't believe me. You don't believe me. Watch. Watch. Come on. See? See? See that? I know, I know, I know. Crazy, crazy. In modern times, let's just use California geography, this would be the equivalent of starting ministry in Santa Monica and then heading north up to Malibu. And then now today, leaving, you would depart all the way down to Temecula. And some of you, some of you are saying, where's Temecula? And if you, you have... A, a, Trouble or your orientation with distance is, is challenged much like my wife's is, then, then this may not mean anything to you. And forgive her if she ever asks you if you and your family have ever traveled up to San Diego or, or down to Sacramento. <laughs> Regardless of your sense of direction, the main thing to take away is that this is a great distance to travel during this time period. And just think that Jesus... The Lord of the universe does what? He comes and he travels and walks in the heat and the element such an incredible distance to minister to Gentile souls, lost souls. 
Jesus as servant is the theme of the Gospel of Mark. And this passage features his heart to serve. And ironically, it's not mentioned in any other Gospel account. Perhaps the greatest impact of our Lord's service showing the twelve how to effectively and willingly minister to Gentiles. Help them to get focused for future ministry. Tyre and Sidon, as we saw up there, both port cities on the water. So they would have been accessible by a number of people, not just Israelites. They were filled with Gentiles. Now, in a Gentile region, the Lord... uh, would have the same opportunity to move around and minister to a a vast array of people. His his movement and pace when he was in Galilee amongst Israelites was to move from what? Synagogue to synagogue, and we saw that. Now, same movement and ministry pace would take place in a Gentile region. Tyre, of course, was the location of his encounter with the Syrophoenician woman, and from there, verse 31 says he traveled through Sidon. Matthew 15, 29 through 31 describes what the Lord's ministry looked like on the coast when it says, And large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the cripple restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. They refers to Gentiles again. They were glorifying whom? The God of Israel. Another reference to the fact that Jesus was ministering to all these Gentiles, which is a radical paradigm shift for the disciples to witness. The Lord talking to and ministering to these dogs from a pharisaical standpoint that we picked up last week, right? Spending time with people who were looked down upon and frowned down according to a Jewish point of view. And this was going to challenge the disciples greatly. And in doing so, Jesus is detoxing his disciples of a false understanding of defilement and laying the foundation for their future gospel ministry that will include both Jew and Gentile. It's getting them focused for future ministry. Contrary to what the disciples probably envisioned, that it would be sitting to Jesus' left and to his right, ruling in Jerusalem, strictly over the Jews, it's going to look different. And as we learned in past sermons, 10 out of the 12 disciples died and gave their lives while ministering on foreign soil to Gentiles significance of this Gentile journey and teaching time with the Lord cannot be undermined. Can you imagine what the disciples, uh, what, what would have happened if they would have approached Jesus and said, you know, Lord, we're a little uncomfortable. Um, we'd rather just minister to, to the Jews. Maybe you can send some other people to go ahead and minister to those other cultures you imagine what would have happened? Think about the implications, the gospel implications of reaching people. There's a principle that we can draw upon here that will help us focus. The truth be told is that ministry and missions prepare us for an even greater ministry in the future. He's calling us to get out of our comfort zones, 
to give time, effort, and energy that could otherwise be saved for self? How might the Lord's example and the example of the disciples in the future challenge us to step out of our comfort zones? There are some really practical ways that this can come to play in our lives, including where we choose to live. And are we comfortable living in a Hispanic neighborhood to reach Hispanics for the gospel? Are we comfortable living in uh, a black neighborhood or an Asian neighborhood or a white, depending on whether or not it's a different ethnicity than what we're made of? God wants us to focus on the reality and the need of the ministry. He doesn't want us blinded by the reality that Gentiles are very diverse. We can also see that the Lord wants us to continue to increase in our capacity to do more. And as I was thinking about this reality, our flesh always wants us to do the minimum. Did you notice that? Our, our, our flesh, in the flesh, we always want to do the minimum. Just enough to get by. Just enough sometimes to even maybe comfort ourselves or to give ourselves a pat on the back. When we function in the spirit, what happens? It increases our capacity. It increases, God increases our desire to do more. I'm telling you, church, this is really his mercy to us. It's a, it's a mercy for him to reveal that to us and to help us focus we can be certain that the disciples were learning a lot about themselves and even significantly more about Jesus, as we'll see. After ministry in Tyre and Sidon, now the 100-plus mile journey to Decapolis begins, which is the same reason that Jesus healed the garrison demoniac back in chapter 5. If you'll recall, he was there just for one day. He encountered this man who was demon-possessed by a legion of demons, which we learned could actually be up to 6,000 demons, okay? thousands of demons in torment. And he casts out the demons into a herd of swine that end up taking a dive off the cliff. Great financial hardship, whoever that impacted, right? We talked about that. Price of bacon going through the roof in the area. Right? It was a big big deal and so the people find out about this and they come up and they implore jesus and they beg him leave please leave right away would they welcome him back well our second lesson will help share some insight and it's this his request from a gentile crowd challenges us look at verse 32 it says they brought to him, and they, being people from within the region of Decapolis, one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Interestingly, the people do welcome him back. But why the change of heart? Think about this. What took place that could have had an impact that they went from imploring him to, to leave and now to return. The answer appears to be related to the faithful testimony of the garrison demoniac. Turn back a couple chapters to, to Mark 5 so you can see this. 
after Jesus heals the demon-possessed man in, in Mark 5, down at verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him. But he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Verse 20. And he went away and began to proclaim in... What's your verse? What's your translation say? Decapolis. What great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. This first Gentile missionary was very faithful to what Jesus called him to do in the region. Decapolis, a region that we talked about that was made up of ten cities. And this should challenge us to never underestimate the power that our testimonies can have in our area. Are you and I taking advantage of the opportunity to share with people in our cities, in our regions, how the Lord has had mercy on us? And every single salvation experience is a miracle and a testimony. You didn't have to be incarcerated by thousands of demons to have a valid testimony. It's equally miraculous when the Lord takes the person. In fact, that's what makes you most identifiable with people that you're going to witness to. might actually work against you. You ever think about that? If you were actually, I know I've never been demon-possessed by several thousand demons. But when you're the average Joe, when you can relate to somebody, that's powerful. Not only is Jesus welcome back, but now they bring him another difficult case to heal. Similar to the demon-possessed, deaf and mute people, from a Jewish standpoint, were actually viewed as insane. Jewish rabbis sadly reached this conclusion and said, we have no way of knowing what they understand. Gentile cultures also treated them very harshly and referred to them as dumb. Sadly, it wasn't because they lacked comprehension. Their disability limited their ability to communicate and thus understand what was taking place around them. And we know this to be true today, now, after additional studies have been made and revealed the fact that there's a great correlation between your ability to hear and your ability to learn. Being deaf also impairs speech and speech development. And if you go back to Mark 7 and you look in verse 32... This is why it says, and he spoke with difficulty in the New American Standard. Or he had a speech impediment in the ESV. As far as the people from Decapolis were concerned, Jesus had already healed an insane person, a demon-possessed man. And now they wanted to see him heal a second insane person. It's impossible for us to know the motives of those who brought the man to Jesus. And we don't have another count to cross-reference like we did last Sunday. What we do know is that the Lord would show mercy to this man. This should challenge us as well. Our Lord will show mercy to those who we lead to him, to those that we minister to by helping them see their need for his mercy and his healing. This brings us to the heart of this passage in our third lesson. 
His miracle to a Gentile man communicates his compassion to us. First we'll look at his compassion in communication, and then we're going to look at his compassion in the healing itself. Look at verses 33 and 34. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. It should be noted from the very start that the method or the means that Jesus used to heal this man would have been considered defilement by the Pharisees. And again, Jesus is detoxifying uh, the disciples of their false understanding of defilement because of all that's been taught by the Pharisees. First, to touch a Gentile in and of itself is defiling. Second, to the Pharisee, you would have been unclean if you stuck your fingers in your own ears, which was another false teaching of defilement. In fact, rabbis taught that people that who touch the mouth, nose, ears, eyes, or one hand with the other hand in the morning before you washed your hands was going to lead only to disease. Sadly, their view of what Jesus does here would not be celebrated. And we'll see that this might very well be one of the most powerful expressions of the Lord's mercy demonstrated to an individual person in all the gospel accounts. As mentioned earlier, this man would have been treated harshly by both Jews and Gentiles, scorned spiritually by every Pharisee and Jew who would have believed that because of the condition that the man was born with, he, he's, he's got to be cursed from God. Scorned by Gentiles as a stammering dummy. Both groups classifying and attributing his condition to insanity. It was a socially painful and isolating condition that I'm pretty sure that probably led many who suffered in the same condition to probably end their lives without hope. Rather than shunning him, Jesus takes him under his arm and leads him away to the crowd. And the reason that he does this is he wants this man to have his undivided attention. He doesn't want to have any distractions or anything that will, will confuse the man who, who is deaf. He wants him focused on him. He doesn't use words because he knows he cannot hear. Jesus speaks to the man in a language that is much louder than words. It's the language of compassion. This man has been deaf. But let me tell you that he's heard many things loud. Loud voices of rejection that looked at him with contempt. Loud voices of annoyance that would shoo him away. Loud voices of those who made fun of him. And mocked him. I would have been one of those guys. Praise God for his grace. Redeeming grace in the heart of the believer. He makes us sensitive. And he makes us compassionate to people such as this. Jesus would speak to him in a voice that was louder than all. The Lord's voice of compassion would let the man know that he, he understood exactly what was going on with him. So what does Jesus do? 
He has the man come to him. He looks him in the eyes. He puts both fingers into his ears. What is he saying? I know that you're deaf. I know, I know the source of your problem. And then what does he do next? He says that he spits. Just the motion. What is he saying? I know you have trouble getting your words out of your mouth. And then he, he takes his hand and he touches his tongue. So compassionate. And if you have the NAS, it says that Jesus touched the man's tongue with the saliva, but that's not reflected in the Greek. And the ESV is a stronger translation here. He simply touched the man's tongue. We're going to see Jesus later on in Mark use his saliva actually in some miracles, but this isn't one of them. His compassion and communication continues in verse 34. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh. Stop here for a moment. A person who was deaf would have had heightened sensitivity to all their other senses, right? In order to compensate. And so Jesus has a hold of this man in his ears, and you, you can only imagine as Jesus sighed in the Greek, it's, he literally groaned. Mm. The vibration of his groan was felt. The air with a sigh released from his mouth and his breath, the man would have felt. Jesus looks up, and he wants the man to know something that the source and nature of the power needed to heal him is coming from above. See, the crowd, they had heard all the things about Jesus. This man has heard nothing. Jesus also communicates his compassion through just the, the, the reality of his presence. You know, this man had not had anyone, I my guess, and maybe there were those in his family that tried to show him some level of care, but for a complete stranger, this man's heart was attentive. It was focused in on Jesus. He lets out the deep sigh, which can literally be translated groan. He felt deep emotional sympathy for this man. This is the same Greek word that the Apostle Paul uses in Romans 8.23 that describes believers groaning within ourselves, eagerly waiting for our adoptions as sons and the redemption of our bodies. You know, you have those times, right, where you just, when, when life is rough, where you just long to be in heaven, long to be with the Savior. The same intense longing to see this man healed. Jesus says to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And the next thing that would happen would be surreal. The man would be able to hear. Now we see the Lord's compassion and healing. Verse 35 says, And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. 
The verse really doesn't do the, the, the miracle justice as we just look at it. Have you ever seen the video of those who have, have deaf, who are deaf, who online on YouTube or on a, a, an internet video when a person can hear for the very first time? Do you, you know that? Have you ever witnessed that? Raise your hand. I'm just curious. Those that have seen it. Because those of you that haven't, I want to encourage you to go do that later today. Have the opportunity to, to witness what happens when somebody can hear for the very first time. It is absolutely overwhelming. You, you see a level of emotion that overcomes their face and their being that, 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 that this light has just turned on. And that's so, so powerful. And as amazing as those video clips are, imagine this. That the first voice that you would ever hear would be that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Couldn't get any sweeter. Could not get any more amazing. And verse 35 confirms three miracles, really. The first miracle is his hearing is completely restored. The man can now hear perfectly because every miracle the Lord did, he did perfectly. The second miracle, the impediment or blockage of his tongue is removed. In the Greek, this is a lot more vivid. It can actually be rendered the chain of his tongue was broken. The third miracle is his ability to speak is granted immediately. Remember, he had never heard anyone speak before, right? And now all of a sudden it says that he is able to speak plainly. That word in the Greek is orthos, like orthodontist or orthodental. What do they do? They, they, they straighten your teeth. And immediately this man had his ability to speak completely straightened. Talk to any audiologist about a person who's had their hearing restored, who, who's never had it, and they'll let you know that it takes months. It can take even years. And in some instances, they never completely have it straightened out. And what does our verse tell us? This man had it completely restored. This is such a beautiful picture of mercy. And interestingly... Verse 35 also provides a picture of salvation found in Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. And you don't need to turn there, but allow me to read it for you. Isaiah, after really expounding 35 plus chapters of judgment, is all of a sudden going to shift gears and talk about the joy that's coming in salvation. The joy of the coming Messiah. And he describes it this way. Isaiah 35, 5. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute shout for joy. How beautiful is that? And this, of course, is a reference to the coming millennial kingdom. And there's a reflection of God's grace to us in this passage that comes through the grace of the gospel when the Lord granted us ears to hear and eyes to see. 
And we see him make reference of this throughout the gospel accounts, don't we? Now you have an Old Testament reference. When his mercy caused our hearts to be born again. Spiritually, it opened our eyes to see and our ears to hear. It allowed our tongues to be free. It allowed our tongues to be willing and able to talk about him and the mercy that he has given to us in our lives. We're no longer restricted or in bondage or afraid to talk about religion or religious things. It frees us. And how beautiful it is to see the Lord's mercy to this man and connected to the same mercy that has been extended to us. And the Lord touched your heart and extended his mercy and grace through the gospel so that you could be forgiven of your sin. And Jesus Christ is the Savior. He is the one who came to rescue sinners. He is the one who willingly went and hung to pay the penalty on the cross. He is the one who identified with the sins of everyone. No one in the history of the world has ever made this claim. No one else has claimed to die for the sins that you and I have committed. He gave himself up for all who would repent of their sin and put their trust completely in Christ alone for their salvation. Are you someone here today that has never received his forgiveness? Are you deaf to the gospel? Are you mute? Are you un able to speak of his mercy and of his compassion and of his forgiveness. Because if your heart is born again, my friends, he removes that bondage from our tongues, does he not? So that we can glorify this, so that no matter what happens, no matter what this life throws at us, no matter how difficult our circumstances get, then we know what, hey, no matter what happens, I know what, I know the Lord is mine and I am his. We're freed. And if you've never turned and trusted in Christ for your salvation, can today be the day? Ask him to open your ears and he will. Ask him to free your tongue, to speak of his truth, his kindness, his love, his mercy, and he will. He will change your life. He will change your life forever. This is the heart, this is the pulse, this is the heartbeat of this passage, helping us to see this reality. Our passage reveals four lessons from our Lord's ongoing ministry to a Gentile man so that we continue to celebrate his mercy towards us. His journey through Gentile regions focuses us. His request from a Gentile crowd challenges us. His miracle to a Gentile man communicates his compassion to us. His mandate to the Gentile witnesses reveals his timetable to us. And here we're going to see the mandate followed by their disobedience and their conclusion. But let's get started with the mandate. Look at the beginning of verse 36. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone. Now this seems odd, doesn't it? Don't tell anyone. Earlier in Mark 5, Jesus 
heals the Gerasene demoniac, encourages him to go all the way back to Decapolis in his hometown, 10 cities, home region. Tell everyone about the Lord's mercy. Now here, you're told repeatedly not to tell anyone. What gives? Question for you. Do we serve a precise God? Do, do we serve a precise God? We do. We do. Every single detail is accounted for. Raise your hand if you've ever been to a professional orchestra, had the blessing of going to see an orchestra play. There is an exquisite level of detail that is required when it comes to playing classical pieces of music. And, then, and, and, and it's most fully appreciated by the conductor who exercises control and is attentively aware of all the moving parts simultaneously. God the Father wrote the script. He wrote the script of music that would be played as the story of his will would unfold. And Jesus functions as the conductor of the Father's will. As Jesus fulfills what the Father has orchestrated, he is sensitive to the timing of every detail. And timing is everything. When you go to that orchestra, right, and you see that conductor up there, and I just think they're just like crazy. You know, you see it, and you don't understand it. You're just thinking... Maybe they're demon-possessed, right? No, but but it's, just, it's just odd. But every detail, from the time it starts to the time it finishes, and everything in between, do this, do this, right? Do this, um, bum, 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 to bring up the trumpets, um, to lower down the drums, all the way down to a stillness, all the way to a stop. Dun, 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 bum, 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 bum. It's what they do. And the Lord Jesus Christ as the conductor, as he was fulfilling the Father's will, I'm telling you, he functioned in that very same way as the things that were unfolding around him were taking place. And this is why it's, it's a song that ultimately is going to end up with him going where? To the cross. And God's plan, his perfect plan of salvation and there were things that were factored in, every single detail that was factored in. And so as he's trying to stay on course, this is why when the garrison demoniac is healed, he can tell him, I need you to go back and tell those people over there. And when it comes over to this side and we see this deaf mute man, he says, stop. Don't tell anyone. Stop. Wow. Notice their disobedience, starting in the middle of verse 36. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. There's a problem, right? You know, it's interesting because we don't even know what's going on in the conductor's head sometimes as he's in control of an orchestra, right? But sometimes there are mistakes made by the musicians, right? They come in at the wrong point. They, 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 they make mistakes, and the, the really good orchestras make very few mistakes. But a good conductor, you know what they can do? They can harmonize. They can take the mistakes of other people, right? And they can, they can smooth it out so it doesn't seem so disruptive. 
And the Lord Jesus Christ had to do this on a regular basis, especially when it came to those who were trying to take him by force and make him king immediately. Those who were trying to overwhelm him with crowds and take him away from a ministry point that he was trying to get to on another part, another region, or other side of Galilee. He was ordaining all things. And here the people choose willingly to disobey. I want to ask you a really odd question. How can this encourage us? When we see things happening in our world, when we see people who are intentionally trying to defy God and to resist his plan and his purposes, no matter how hard they try, nothing can derail the sovereign plan of God. Amen? Nothing. It doesn't matter who's elected as president. It doesn't matter um, who's the, the president of another country. All of these things, all of these details have been factored in by the Lord. And we are on his timetable. God's also going to hold the people accountable when we find out that he will, right? Acts 2, when the predetermined plan, I mean, those men that nailed Jesus to the cross will be held accountable. Romans 14, 12 lets us know that each man will give an account of himself, right? It includes both our good actions and bad actions. And we're so privileged to see the big picture of God's will. And it's like a symphony of music as Jesus conducts the Father's will. The timetable in this passage should also make us mindful of the Lord's will and not being self-willed. Because this is what we see an example of with the people's disobedience. It is his will for our lives that we are ultimately fulfilling, not our own. We're not trying to impose my will your will on God's will trying to get them to align he will determine the outcome that is best for us according to his will and this includes when and if you get married and this includes when and if you have children this includes when and if you get employment when and if you recover from an illness do you and I trust that he knows best according to his will? J.C. Ryle shares this about this passage. Let us remember it as we look forward to the days yet to come. We know not what they might be, bright or dark, many or few. We know that we are in the hands of him. He will not err in any of his dealings with us. He will take away and give. He will afflict and bereave. He will move and he will settle with perfect wisdom, the right time, in the right way. The great shepherd of the sheep makes no mistakes. He leads every lamb of his flock by the right way to the city of habitation. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The Christian man once wisely said, I don't know what my future holds, but I know who holds it. That really is a summary and encapsulates everything right there as we yield ourselves to the Father's timetable. But there's even an encouragement for us as we read their conclusion in verse 37. It says, They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. 
He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Listen, they were absolutely astonished and captivated by the reality of the physical miracles, right? The physical power to heal that the Lord Jesus Christ possessed. How much more should we who know the reality and the willingness and the spiritual power that he has to heal the soul, how much more should we be astonished and captivated? We know how the story ends. While they lurked in the shadows of the cross. At the beginning of the service, I asked, who's been on a missions trip outside of the country? And you guys raised your hands. The truth be told is that every believer is on a missions trip. It's a co-mission trip. The great trip. The big trip. The great co-mission trip. That helps us to understand how we are to make the most of the time, the redemptive time that we have on this earth. Christ's journey through Gentile regions focus us. May his request from a Gentile crowd challenge us. May his miracle to a Gentile man communicate his passion, compassion to us. And may his mandate to the Gentile witnesses reveal his timetable to us. As we do our best to faithfully fulfill the Lord's will for our lives. Amen? Amen. Well, to conclude our message today, we're going to have the tremendous privilege of celebrating the Lord's table. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, invite our worship team to come up at this time. And after I pray, I'll offer some additional instructions. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we want to bow our heads right now. And the first words that are racing out of my mouth are to thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the compassion and the realness of it all. The genuineness of your love and care and concern. How you reached out, how you extended your arms and enveloped us with your love. And perhaps someday we'll have the opportunity to interact with this man who we can be sure was captured, captured by your, your grace to him. I'm sure in many ways, like the Gerasene demoniac, he wanted to just continue to follow you and to give you worship for all that you have done. We pray, Father, that you would continue just to capture our hearts with the mercy that has been extended to us and that you would allow us to reciprocate, that you would help us to become stewards of the mercy and the ministry of reconciliation that has been entrusted to our care. And we would reach out every heart to some degree as a hurting heart. Every family has needs. And you can use us. You can help us to lead people to your mercy. And we want to be used by you to help them see it. We thank you now for this time that we have to celebrate communion. We ask that you would bless it. That you would encourage our hearts with your faithfulness. And as we celebrate the reality of the cross and all that it means to us, may you be magnified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.